0: Before we read God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer together. Heavenly Father, you are the one who has inspired the scriptures. In all of your wisdom, you've given us just what we need. And now as we open a small portion of it and consider it together, we ask that you might impart that wisdom to your servant as he speaks That same wisdom to all of us as we hear, that we might understand, that we might see how it applies to our own lives. And we pray that as a result of this, we might go forward better equipped to honor and serve you, more dedicated to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so be with us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have changed my scripture reading a little bit. I'm going to read from the Old Testament first, from Proverbs chapter 8, and then I'll read from James chapter 3. The sermon is about wisdom, and so I just could not omit reading something from Proverbs. Proverbs 8. I will read verses 1 through 14. Let us pay attention now to the word of God. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. Then turning to the book of James, chapter three, I begin at verse 13. James 3, beginning with verse verse 13, this is our text. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word for us, brothers and sisters. Please be seated. Dear friends, It is my judgment that wisdom is hard to find in America in the year 2023. I suspect that you would agree with me about that. And that is in a sense why I chose to preach on this passage that has to deal with wisdom and its proper use. In a sense, wisdom has been hard to find throughout history What I mean to say is that, first of all, you need to have insight into the way things operate in this world. Wisdom is not just knowledge, of course, but it is insight into the way things fit together and operate and work and the ability to apply your knowledge to specific situations. That's sometimes hard to come by, and so there hasn't been a lot of wisdom But more than that, the Bible makes it very clear that only those who fear God have true wisdom. You remember what it says elsewhere in Proverbs and in the Psalms as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. And the Bible also says to us that wisdom ultimately resides in Jesus Christ. If you want to be truly wise, ultimately wise, then you need to see the truth about Jesus and embrace it, the importance of what he did, including his sacrificial death, his weakness on earth, which, as Paul says, is such foolishness to the Gentiles. Throughout history, not many people have feared God and embraced Jesus along with his death and resurrection. And that's why I say, throughout history, there has not been a lot of true wisdom to be had. But there's something else going on today that drew me to this passage, something going on in our culture around us that undercuts wisdom, excuse me that undercuts and undermines wisdom even more. And this that is going on now is something that can also creep into the church, can affect us, who claim to fear God, who claim to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, who accept his death, As part of God's wisdom, there is something that can undercut wisdom also among us. What I'm talking about is addressed by James in his passage. He's talking to believers, he's talking to the church. Not many of you, he says at the beginning of chapter one, uh, or at chapter three, not many of you should become teachers. And then in, in verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you. He's talking about Christians, about believers. And he's telling us that when it comes to using and dispensing wisdom, there is a proper way to do that and an improper way. There is a way that pleases God and a way that displeases Him. There's an ethical way and there's an unethical way. to approach wisdom and to apply it and to propound it to others. And it's very important, says James. He goes so far as to say that wisdom that is misused is not true wisdom at all. It doesn't come from above, he says, from God. In fact, it is spawned by the devil. He calls it demonic. He says it's earthly. He says it's unspiritual. He goes on to say that the misuse of wisdom can actually lead one to be false to the truth. That it can undercut the very truths that the so-called wise person is, port- is, is, is trying to convey. It makes those truths, even though they are true, it makes those truths look tawdry, unappealing, and it leads other people to question. So we should take a look then at what James calls wisdom from above and then compare it with this wisdom that is not from God at all. So let's take a look at some of these qualities of wisdom. But before we do that, we need to look at what lies at the heart of what James talks about true wisdom and what is not. James talks about the meekness of true wisdom. And he contrasts that with what he calls bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And those, he says, are at the heart of the matter. So at the heart of the misuse of wisdom is jealousy and selfish ambition <clears throat> the desire to have and gain more to hold on <clears throat> sorry to hold on at any cost to what you have the desire to get ahead of other people jealousy selfish ambition. When we misuse wisdom, we're not interested in the welfare of others or the honor of God, even though we might try to convince ourselves and convince others that we are. Instead, we're interested in enhancing our own reputation, gaining our own selfish ends. Now, the opposite of that would be what James has in mind by the word meekness. When a person uses wisdom rightly, says James, he or she is not interested in gaining an advantage from that use for themselves. Instead of that bitter jealousy to hang on to whatever reputation, whatever material things, whatever things we might have, a person with true wisdom has quiet contentment. Accepting the position and circumstances that God has given to him or her. Not trying to grab other things. Instead of selfish ambition, there's this deep-seated desire for the honor of God, for the welfare of others. It's not, what can I gain for me, but... What can I do for the Lord? What can I do for others? This basic orientation of heart that James urges on us is exactly the orientation of Jesus, our Master. I'm sure you recognize that and and understand that, but let me just remind you of Philippians 2, verse 5, where Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, this orientation, this attitude, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. No bitter jealousy there, no desire to hold on to what he already has, no selfish ambition there, Humble service. The words of Matthew 11, verse 28, bring about the same point. Words of Jesus Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus, who is all wisdom, is meek, you see. To properly use wisdom, we need to be true disciples of our Savior. We need to emulate his character. Okay, that's at the core. That's at the heart. The well from which the water springs. So now let's see how James flushes out for us the character of wisdom. That is from above, from heaven, from God. First James says it must be pure must be dispensed with pure motives motives that are unmixed uncorrupted by this selfish ambition and jealousy that i mentioned and it means it also needs to seek pure ends right ends and goals approved by god we know, for example, that God wants us to defend the truth. Truth that he reveals in his word. And, and so, if we're going to use wisdom, it's, it's to defend this truth of God, the honor of God. He knows, too, that we know, too, that he wants us to seek the long-term welfare of the people around us, to love others as we love ourselves. So pure wisdom is going to have those ends, those goals. Not diluted by a desire maybe just to get along, to make someone feel good about themselves, and so you withhold wisdom, you modify your your wisdom somehow. Undiluted by the desire to show off. Wisdom is pure. God is also a God of peace. God desires harmony among those created in his image. So, says James, wisdom must be peaceable. Wisdom must seek to be winsome, to soothe, to bring people together, if at all possible, even as it instructs. Now, I know that that, that peace... Has to be a two way thing. And if you're trying to create peace and the other person is not trying to create peace, peace will not come about. But the person, the believer who is dispensing wisdom, should have that as its goal. Wisdom, in other words, cannot be applied in an abrasive way, a way that will divide. Next, James says wisdom must be gentle. Greek scholars are quick to point out when that word is used that gentle doesn't mean weak. Wisdom is not wishy-washy. The example is sometimes used of of a horse. And when a horse is gentled, that horse is tamed to the point where it is under control but you wouldn't want to say that horse is weak. Just try to rile that horse up and you'll see something else. Gentility is strength under control. There is a time to be forceful in opposing what is harmful and what is foolish. Jesus, I cited as one who is meek. Well, Jesus showed this forcefulness when he opposed the Pharisees. But a wise person, a truly wise person, will not try to beat other people into submission by wielding the truth as some kind of club. He won't lash out wildly, speak in an unguarded way. He will gently but firmly try to persuade Next, James says, wisdom from above is is open to reason. In chapter 1, James says, we should be quick to hear, slow to speak. As you've probably heard, as a proverb says, we have two ears and one mouth. Quick to hear, slow to speak. A truly wise person will recognize that he or she doesn't have a corner on wisdom. There's always room to grow. A wise person will, of course, then be open to what God has to say. Always open to what God has to say. Listening to it over and again, even though the wise person thinks, I've heard this before, he she reads it again to listen to what God has to say. But that person will also seek to find the grain of truth in the position of another. Even if there's serious disagreement, the wise person is open to reason. Next, wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. It doesn't desire to see another person crushed. It doesn't desire to see someone humiliated. When a point has been duly made, the wise person does not continue to hammer away on that. He takes pity on the person who doesn't have wisdom. Even when that person is bitterly opposed, the wise person sees that that person without the wisdom is hurting, is walking the way of death. The truly wise believer desires that even his enemies would walk in the way of that is sure to bring the most joy. Wisdom is full of mercy, good fruits. Wisdom from above should be impartial, says James. It is equally respectful of those who are rich and those who are poor, of those who are well-educated and those who are not. Those who are articulate and those who stumble over their words. A person with godly wisdom doesn't change his tune when circumstances change. Doesn't speak one thing to impress somebody who might be powerful and then say something else to someone who has no influence. And finally, James says, the wisdom from above is sincere. The Greek word is the same word from which we get hypocrisy. It's it's not hypocritical. It comes from a heart that has been truly convinced of its value. And that implies, of course, that a wise person will strive to practice what she preaches. Her life will demonstrate what comes out of her mouth because this is sincere from the heart. That's why James says in verse 13 the wise person will demonstrate good conduct. Conduct that is admirable, that conforms to God's will, that shows a true fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. It will be sincere without hypocrisy. Well, I think you're gathering the gist here of what James is saying about wisdom from above, and how it differs from that which is earthly and unspiritual. But James also talks about the results of displaying godly wisdom over against the results of that wisdom which comes, he says, from below. So listen again to verses 16 and 18 where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jealousy, selfish ambition lead to disorder and every vile practice, says James. Jealousy and selfish ambition are at the, at the very heart and core of sin itself, you know. And, and so, from the very beginning, we've begun, we've been able to see how jealousy and selfish ambition lead to disorder and vile practices. The Cain and Abel story, where Cain is, is jealous that, that Abel is somehow receiving the favor of God he strikes out, kills Abel. Or think about Jesus with his disciples. Jesus chagrined when he hears the disciples arguing about among themselves about who is to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus thinking, oh, this is not my teaching at all. So filled with jealousy and selfish ambition. You read the epistles and you find God warning over and over about factions in the church caused by jealousy, caused by selfish ambition. In the first part of the chapter that I did not read, James talks about the havoc that can be caused by the tongue that is loosed from the moorings of wisdom that come from above, that tongue is like a like a fire, James says, and it it devours, destroys. Well, what is true in general about jealousy and selfish ambition is certainly true about the use of wisdom, when it comes from an impure spring. This water, even though it has the name wisdom, this water pollutes everything, it raises hackles, it leads to defensiveness, it wounds, it divides when wisdom is used in a selfish and harsh way. It's like a contagious disease that infects a home, a community, a church. In contrast, James says, wisdom from above produces a harvest of righteousness. Those who display it have a genuine desire for peace. Peace in its richest form, in that Old Testament sense of shalom, that positive kind of peace, not just an an end of something, but something very positive and beautiful, wholeness. Harmony, harmony between people and harmony between God and those made in his image and harmony within a person. This wholeness is peace. Godly wisdom leads to that. Godly wisdom leads to words and actions that are good and right in the sight of God, the God of wisdom and the God of peace. Well, as I've been talking, perhaps your mind, because minds run much faster than lips can speak, so probably you've been thinking about what God is saying and how it can be applied in modern life. And maybe the first thing your mind runs to is social media. And I have to admit that I'm not very familiar with social media, maybe it's partly because of my age or whatever, I just not, didn't grow up with it. So, you know, Twitter is still something that goes on outside my window in the morning when uh, when I'm waking up and the, and the birds are awake. And uh, chat rooms, well, our living room, pretty good chat room, I think. But the comments that I do read the things that I do see lead me to see that wisdom that comes from above is pretty hard to find on social media. Especially, of course, among those who are not believers. Because there's so little accountability, people can give what they consider to be wisdom regarding all sorts of things using whatever language they choose to use. Some of those opinions will at times have substance, but often they're given without regard to what James is saying. There's a, a kind of a harsh tone with people belittling each other. Writers attack individuals instead of addressing ideas. Seldom does someone acknowledge an element of truth in what somebody else is saying. Far too often they even misrepresent the position that they are attacking. And there's very little attempt, it seems, to strive for harmony, to attain common ground, and look for common ground. And the harvest of all of that is something that we see around us in the culture. Disorder, polarity, people lashing out at each other, inflamed and in unbridled passion, bio practices. Sure, says James, it's what you should expect when wisdom is presented that way, uncontrolled. If we believers are going to use social media, we need to be very, very cautious not to fall into those kinds of patterns. We will need to very carefully frame what we say and how we say it when we wish to offer the wisdom that God has given to us to the society around us on those kinds of platforms. Public discourse like that is really a minefield these days. But we would do well to look closer to home as well. Think of family life, for example. How easy it is to let down our guard against the evil one at home. My wife Wendy and I were talking about that a little bit and and talking about how you know, when we're at home, we're comfortable. We, we belong there. We own that place. That's, that's our home territory. And so we let down our guard oftentimes. We're not trying to impress anybody there. And we bring into the home all the frustrations that we've accumulated outside in the workplace and wherever else. And so we need to be careful there. How are we interacting with our spouse, our children, our brothers and sisters. I was trying to think of an example of this. I I thought, well, maybe a parent would wisely see that his child is spending too much time on a cell phone or with video games. So with wisdom, that parent will want to approach the child, but the wisdom from above, above says, Approach that child with tact, with care. The wise parent will find ways to compliment the child for other choices that that child is making. He will listen to the child as to why those things be, are so important to that child. He'll, he'll remember what he was like, what she was like at that age. The wise parent will check his or her heart to see whether they really care for the welfare of the child or whether they just merely want to flaunt their God-given authority. Husbands and wives, when you discuss responsibilities that each of you are going to have at home, you discuss how you're going to set up your budget, We need to fight this jealousy and selfish ambition that comes so naturally to our fallen natures. Sometimes we come to our spouse and and we're very sure that we have a wise perspective on something, very sure about that, but are we displaying that wisdom with all of these beautiful traits that James is describing here? does this begin to turn into a power struggle where we simply want to get our way and we lash out perhaps with some of the bitterness we've accumulated from the outside world. And children, this applies to kids too. Sometimes children see friends or siblings, brothers and sisters making a poor choice Or maybe they have an idea that really doesn't make sense. Well, God would want you to point that out in a gentle way, using kind words. Making sure that you really accurately understand what your friend or your brother or sister is really saying, why they're making the choice that they're making. We're not just out to win arguments. We're not just out to make ourselves look smart. We want to honor God by standing up for what's right and wise. But we also want to honor God by seeking what's best for our friend and for the friendship itself. And of course, we need to apply this text in a church setting. The evil one would love to see Harmony in the church unravel. He would love to see us become defensive when our ideas are challenged. He rubs his hands in glee when believers are unable to work together because they're bitterly insisting that everybody agree with them on small matters of interpretation or of practice. He would love to see our egos get in the way of carefully searching out together what God would have us think and what God would have us do. Like I said, Paul needed to to approach some of the churches that he was writing, and and James too, for that matter, in in his book here, because that kind of thing was happening. The, The ways of the world had crept into the church, and and there was this disuse and abuse of real wisdom within the church. And unfortunately, we've seen that happen within churches, and perhaps you've seen it as well. The time of, of the pandemic was a time when the evil one really tried to to create disharmony and bitterness within churches as people had different responses and ways of dealing with the pandemic. And we who in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church are are happy to be careful about doctrine and about the way that we articulate certain things. If we're not careful, we can begin to pick very small things, be very convinced about our view about those things, and then let pride and ego come in and, and hammer on those things To the point where it causes disruption and disharmony, how careful we need to be about that. All of us need to search our hearts. What are our motives when we seek to bring God's wisdom to bear on a certain matter? Are we using godly means, seeking godly ends? Is our wisdom, as James says, pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Full of mercy and good fruits? Impartial? Unhypocritical? Sincere? Brothers and sisters, it's very easy to deceive ourselves about these things. To think we are just really trying to be wise and do what's right, and yet these other things have crept into our thinking, and into our hearts. And how contagious is that bitter, proud, unguarded way of expression that we see everywhere around us. How contagious that can be. So we need to carefully cultivate the mind of Christ, living in close fellowship with Jesus, reviewing and renewing over in our minds again and again, how he lived on earth, what his attitude was. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves of how God has treated us, we who so often are foolish, and how God has, as a father, graciously, in his wisdom, treated us in order to bring his wisdom into our lives. We need to honor and emulate not those who speak the loudest, but those among us who consistently display wisdom in their lives, who live it out and display wisdom in the way that they speak. And above all, let's pray. Pray and pray again that God will not only make us wise, but that God will enable us to use that wisdom in a way that honors him and in a way that advances his good purposes in the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Gracious and merciful God, how great is your wisdom. You who have created all things and know exactly how they operate, how they function, what all the laws and rules and inward workings of things are. Lord, your wisdom is far beyond ours, infinitely great. And what wisdom was displayed in the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus, and in the way that you overcame sin through his sacrifice, maintaining both justice and love What wisdom! We bow before you. We praise you and honor you. We ask that you will teach us wisdom, that you will help us to see how you have created things, what the principles and rules are by which this world operates. Help us to be wise. And then, Lord, as we begin to talk about that with other people, work in our hearts, please. Rid out from within us that jealousy and that selfish ambition that are so fundamental to the sin still within us. Help us to get rid of it that the wellspring might be pure and clean and that the way that we use this wisdom might conform to the ways that you laid out for us this morning. We thank you for your desire to sanctify us and purify us and help us in our Christian living. So guide and direct us in the week ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.